what I've always seen and I've, and I've kind of preached is once you start earning that big, those big dollars, it's really hard to, to put yourself in a position to take a lot of risks. And so I knew in time to get to where I wanted to be, I was going to have to go through a period of, of you know, suffering and sacrifice to you know, put myself in a position uh, long term. Hello and welcome to Beyond High Street. As you know, my name is Jenny Derrick and I'm the Dean of the Pharma School of Business here at Miami University. Today I'm joined by Mark Wagenbrenner, who graduated quite a number of years ago with a degree in finance from Miami University from the Pharma School. So welcome, Mark. It's great to have you on the podcast and always a pleasure to see you again. Glad to be here, Jenny. And I kind of differ. Long ago is a relative term. <laughs> That's right. Maybe not. Come on. I mean, but as I, as I said that, I have to admit to one data point, you actually graduated after I did. So what does that tell you? <laughs> yep, we'll move uh, on from that. 55 is the new 25. That's right. We'll move on. We'll move on. So during the podcast, as our listeners know, we weave through a range of topics so that our listeners to get, can get to know you, understand more about your journey, your reflections along the way and end up with some good career advice for our students, many of whom will listen to the podcast. So I need to begin with what I think is perhaps the most important question. Why did you choose the farmer's school? Why did you come to Miami? Well, I probably didn't give it a lot of, I was going to go to smaller schools for athletic reasons and kind of came to the conclusion. It really was in the summer after my senior year um, that, hey, you know, it's time to move on from sports. And uh, at the time I knew Miami with its, I didn't know, I, I knew I wanted to go into business. I didn't know which, you know, what sector of business I, I suspected it would be real estate. That was our family business and I really liked it. So um, really it was just kind of a growing up period where I'm like, hey man, it's time, it's, it's the rest of my life in sports. You, you pick colleges for the wrong reasons. So it was probably the, you know, one of the best decisions of my life. And, and I know my, my dad was incredibly happy because uh, growing up in Columbus, Ohio, I went from, you know, private tuition to public tuition. And, uh, I, you know, I can remember the smile on my dad's face, but, but yeah, no looking back it, again, it, you know, who I met and the professors I had, the experiences I, I had at Miami were, you know, clearly a cornerstone to the rest of my life. And, and we'll dig into that in a minute, but remind me and if we tell the listeners about your sport history at high school and what you walked away from. Well, I, I, want, I wanted to play basketball, and, uh, and, and, but my physique was more uh, thick uh, for, for football. So I, I, was, uh, I was agreed to play football at a smaller school, Denison, and with the understanding that they let me try basketball too. And then um, I was a super late bloomer. And so I kept growing. I think I grew maybe an inch or two the, over the summer of my senior year. So when I came to Miami, I did walk on to the basketball team and that lasted a, maybe a month. And then <laughs> I, I needed to grow about another foot to play uh, division one from division three was a, a whole different ball game. So, but sometimes this, you know, sometimes players like you can kind of weave, weave around and, and, and make some stunning moves. So <laughs> did you not? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, it, it, you know, what, what I realized and another great thing about growing up fast in Miami was just how, how, uh, how big the world is. So you think you're this big athlete coming out of a, uh, the mid-sized parochial school in Columbus, Ohio, and then you realize how big the world is and how competitive, you know, the, the intramural sports program was at Miami. And it, you know, it, it really, I, I love sports for what they were, you know, and, and 
and, and it, you know, the intramural program there was incredible, exceptional at the time. So I experimented with all different sports and it really wove into my social fabric. So I made so many friends through it and it was, it was tremendous. I love it. And I would shout out to our students who are student athletes and just what an incredible job they do, keeping their grades up and, and just keeping everything. So I, I have great admiration for the students who can can get through and do that. No, I, I don't know how they do it. You know, that, that, that was a big part of it. It's, you know, when the commitment to college athletics is, is that it's a commitment times 10. And yeah. um, I wasn't I wasn't willing to make that commitment, given all the responsibilities and the you know academics and all the social side of things. So yeah, I'm with you. I commend, you know, yeah. the, the commitment out of athletes is, is just amazing. So so talk to me a bit. So so once you left Pharma of Miami, you went into the family business. So talk to me about the family business, what it does, and also weave in. I'm sure that many of our students come from family businesses. So do weave in some stories about joining the family business and 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 you know the ups and downs I'm sure that come with that too. Yeah, I got there by way of Chicago. So really, I had, um, right out of college, uh, I had to, uh, a buddy of mine, and it started with four of us. It, it whittled down to two. We had convinced our our fathers of letting us take a year off, and I was going to travel around the country. And right before I left, um, a friend of the family worked for a, a, a big developer, a rising developer out of Chicago, which everybody will know now. His name Sam Zell. And um, at the time, he was already, you know, well on his way, but he, he today is probably one of the most preeminent developers in, in the country, and he's, he's legendary. And so right before uh, uh, we were going to buy a motorcycle and a sidecar, uh, my dad's like, hey, why don't you go to Chicago? I'll pay for it. Go visit uh, this training program. And uh, I go there not knowing much, and uh, clearly – uh, you know, uh, I couldn't believe it, but I got the job. I had to break my buddy's heart. He, he had to go to law. I was going to go to law school. I, I took my LSAT and then got this job. And so for a three-year period, it was more closer to four years. I lived in Chicago. I unbelievable experience. I mean, you know, I had no idea of the Zell organization, which its name was Equity. And we, I was there at a time where they brought in seven young people and they were training him up in, in classic Zell fashion. He, 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 he is unbelievable at seeing the future and he knew a recession was coming. And, you know, essentially what happened was when that recession hit, they trained us up to take over for at the time, which was a lot of our peers. And so of the seven people that were there, only two of us uh, at the time left and, and I was one of them. And, and so when the opportunity opened up, I, I had to make a decision. I was like, boy, uh, I'm probably here for the long haul uh, or, or the relatively long haul. But in the back of my head, I'm like, God, I had such talented peers and all the training. And I'm like, and, and I've been around in real estate long enough to know it's not if, it's when the next cycle comes. So I was like, well, this is going to be great for until this next cycle. And then who knows the, the chances of me getting to the top, very top in an organization to the size has its risks. And boy, I've learned a lot. And, you know, what, I, what I've always seen and I've, and I've kind of preached is once you start earning that big, those big dollars, it's really hard to, to put yourself in a position to take a lot of risks. And so I knew in time to get to where I wanted to be, I was going to have to go through a period of, of, you know, suffering and sacrifice to, you know, put myself in a position uh, long term. And, and so I don't, maybe it was just luck 
uh, and maybe it was that I was living so hard in Chicago that I needed to get out of there or I would have died a young man. <laughs> but uh, I came back home and uh, partnered up with somebody. And then, you know, our, our, our deal was we would go out and find development deals and, and uh, with either family resources or friends of family, we'd raise money and do development deals. And so my mother passed when I was in college and she was a big um, part of the company. And so when, when I got back, there was, a, there was a lot to do to get the company back in a position of growth. And so that, that took us some time, but um, essentially that's what happened. So in the early nineties, uh, came back to Columbus, Ohio, not knowing as much as I thought I did. And, and, uh, but, but, you know, essentially going to set the world on fire in my mind and, and start development deals. That's really interesting. So talk to me a little bit about the flavor of development that you do now and whether that's changed over the period of time too. Well, we, we, we had a long journey uh, to, you know, a, so that was probably the early nineties and I, and I, um, you know, at the time, you know, it, the world was dominated by big companies and, and that specialized in whether it was office, whether it was home building or apartments. And it was really, really hard, you know, and, and again, I was naive, but it was really hard to get our start. And, you know, it, 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 it's just, it's an, it's a complicated business, but, you know, essentially we, we came to the conclusion pretty fast that we, if we were going to get somewhere, it wasn't, because we were going to follow, we, we needed to get out ahead of it. I mean, real estate takes a long time to, you know, the, the secret sauce is try to find a way to know where development's headed, get out ahead of it and, and, and get land positions so that over time, you're not, you know, this was always our model that we're not chasing, um, you know, chasing land or chasing purchasing the buildings in, in cycles, you know? And so, Historically, when suburbs were growing, you know, you, you knew where the roads were going and you would go out and buy farmland, wait three or four years, the roads would come out to you, boom, you had a low basis in land and you could develop on that land at a real advantage. Well, those days were gone. I mean, the world was going through a tremendous change. And, and so we, we really got frustrated. You know, if you would have talked to me in 98 or 99, I, I was kicking myself as all my buddies were ro rolling up the, uh, the, the chain at, at the equity group and beyond. Um, so, you know, finally, it, it was a lot by luck. My father, after my mom died, we married and he moved down to Austin, Texas. And we were convinced in the late 90s that nothing could happen in Columbus and, and that, you know, we had to look outward. And so as my dad moved down there, we started trying to think about getting the development business in Austin, Texas, where it was already kind of starting to move. And so as we got down to Austin, we're like, geez, this place feels incredibly familiar to us. You know, you know mid capital, you know, kind of more of a liberal town. And, and even at the time, we started noticing things of, man, there, there was really an inward focus. Uh, people wanted to be back in the cities. And, and so and, and when, we, when we tried to get in the development game in Austin and realized how tough that was because, you know, we're, we're from north of the Mason-Dixon line and we're not Texans, uh, we were like, boy, we, you know, we should go back and maybe double down on Columbus. And, and so what happened is we, we you know, and it's funny because if you think about shows like Friends and, um, and um, what was the uh, Seinfeld, you know, th those things were starting to set our culture up for 
almost young people who were going to live in urban areas and, and it didn't have to be New York. And we were already starting to feel it in Columbus and we definitely saw it in Austin. So we said, man, how can we get in on large tracts of land and, you know, essentially invert the model instead of chasing it out to the suburbs? And so we were really, again, fortunate, incredibly lucky that we, we felt state of Ohio set up the Clean Ohio program, which was the most comprehensive brownfield. And when I say brownfield, this is like when you buy a contaminated site, uh, we don't have time to get into it now, but and we've learned over the years, but, you know, when you buy a contaminated site, you know, there's an incredible amount of liability and, and working with, you know, the companies that own that and, and, and proving to them that you can get a site cleaned up. Well, the, the problem was it was cheaper for companies at the time to put a fence around the site than to try to clean it up. And, and under the Taft uh, administration in Ohio, they started Clean Ohio so you could competitively win, win grants, $3 million at a time. And that was the gap. And so we were able to go in and start cleaning up sites. And it's so risky. You really don't know what you have in these environmental sites until you get, get through it. And so we developed, you know, we, we went in it like nobody else. Everybody else, it was really driven by environmental professionals. And not to be critical, but they were really more interested in, in the fees and the money they could make through the process. Our, our, we were looking at it going, man, we, don't, we just got to get it done because we want the development potential at the end. So we really turned the model on, on its ear because we, what, what happened in the process is we started cleaning up these sites. And the EPA was like, look, it's called a certified professional. You need a third-party independent person to verify your work. But it allowed us to get into the environmental side in the interim. And so what we would go to our suppliers and our contractors and say, guys, we're not going to pay you four times what it takes to dig a hole and put it in a truck and haul it off. We, we, have, we, have, we have resources to do that because we're in the development business. And one of the key things we did was, you know, a lot, a lot of our early projects were hog and haul. We had to dig them out and move them. And when we dug into it, a big part of it was the operators needed to have special training. And, you know, the, the special training equated to like an 80 hour course. And so we went to a partner of ours at the time, a sub partner, and said, hey, don't send your guys home for temporary unemployment. Let, let us send them to training. And when when the spring comes, instead of them not working in the month of January and February, they could work for us and let's agree to a, a fair price on digging these things. So we really, we really took a lot of the cost out of the, the, the cleanup process. And we didn't stop there. We, over the years, we built an environmental company and found ways. And, and the funny thing is all this stuff is open book because it was a, it was a, a program to the state. So we would show our numbers. And, and so we, we kind of became the poster child for the whole program because we were quickly, efficiently cleaning up environmental sites. So we pretty much put our head down from 2001 to 2007 and cleaned up some of the more difficult sites in central Ohio. And we, we had tagged about 15 or 17 sites. And so then, you know, the plan was to start developing on those sites and bring in partners because we wanted to stay nimble and small. And, and, and that's how we started. And then we started developing some of these sites and, and then, you know, I'm jumping ahead, but in, over the long haul, what happened was we, we just needed to in-house a lot of the expertise that we were relying on others. The, 
the, these sites demand mixed use, coordinated mixed uses. And, and it really centers in a lot of ways around structured parking. So in the end, we had to keep growing as an organization. We, now we do all our own construction. And, 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 and what that allows us to do is, is now the world's taking these developments to a whole different route where you, you know, you really got to put a layer of services that is, is unprecedented, you know, so we're running our own gyms, we have our own coffee shops, we have our own bars, we, you know, we hope we don't have to get any further into it than that. But, you know, we're building office buildings, residential, for sale residential, senior, and we're trying to pull all that together. And, and then, you know, build parks and, you know, markets. And so anyways, it's, it's funny. Yeah. How you get but it's interesting so i mean and now your operating company i believe is called thrive companies and and it really speaks to how you've become a community asset where people can thrive when i looked at when i was prepping for this podcast i saw some jobs you're advertising at thrive including a fitness specialist or something like that so it's interesting isn't it how 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 you've waxed and waned through time but what a really interesting story and um so so are you doing a lot more of the environmental work now or has the business shifted again well, like shift's a good word. So unfortunately, the most successful program in the state's uh, economic development history was Clean Ohio. That program got interrupted because the state of Ohio privatized their economic development. And the revenue source that used to fund Clean Ohio, um, no, nobody had any problem with the program. They just needed those resources to drive the privatization of the development, the economic development department of Ohio. So the program got interrupted about a, 10 years ago now um but now the, in the state budget there's a there's a nice um you know a, a nice surge of money to to start another round so uh we'll be doing both we'll, we'll we're starting we, we've got two sites identified that um you know will have some you know substantial environmental issues um and and so we're trying to time it up so we can get some low interest loan money or grant money and and you know, bring back the old formula as we're building out on the sites that we have. Um, but, you know, we probably have a 15 year, even in these rates, a 10 to 15 year supply of land. You know, if we build out what we currently had through those brownfield programs, it's close to $2 billion of development, you know, so we're going to be busy. And, and so we're, you know, it's hard to believe. I wouldn't have thought, you know, one, you know, we were always reluctant to take on this and, and, you know, we, we're very fortunate. We we ran into you know along the way we we have incredible partners and, and we 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 spread out our equity so we have owner operators and, and I am not a good management guy but along the way a guy Kevin Zepernick that came through us through almost a, you know a, a really unique way um, is is really picked up you know we were terrified that if we grew too fast we'd lose our culture and. We've never had a vacation policy. We, we've said, look, you know, we're, we're not going to tell you what time you have to be in the office. We're not going to tell you when it's time to take a vacation. You know, you can manage that. We, you know, we, we're, we're confident that you, you'll get the job done and you do what you need to do when you need to do it. And we'll be there to support you. And, you know, so when we met, this guy came from a large organization and, you know, he convinced us right away. That's ex- no, 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 don't run from that culture, run to it. 
and you can grow a company and treat people that way. So I love really it. fortunate. Yeah. Oh, really good story. So talk to me, yeah. you know, with different asset classes, of course, COVID's impacted some well, some not. So what changes have you seen through the COVID period? Yeah, that's a tough question. I'd say, you know, I'd start with multifamily and, and residential in general. I mean, you know, obviously we, we all braced ourselves for what we were sure was going to be an incredibly painful time. We, we, and, 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 I, and so some of these comments are coming from a very narrow perspective. We're very fortunate in Columbus, you know, and most of our work is in Columbus. So I say this and, and I'll be the first to say it's biased with, with, with the good fortunes that we've had in central Ohio, but we were sh shocked about how quickly, I mean, we were leasing apartments, you know, through, you know, um, you know, you know, online, you know, we, we would leave people's keys. I mean, you know, COVID, we were, we were deemed essential in the state of Ohio in construction, but obviously our, our leasing people could meet face to face, but literally we were still seeing absorption rates that were at or better than where we were pre-COVID, which was just astounding. You know, we just couldn't believe it. And so, you know, obviously, you know, um, the sectors that we're most concerned about are office and, and that's still, Oh, we got so much to work through in that sector, you know, but we, right when this started, we, we had started a big mixed use project inspect on 160,000 square foot building. And we had two buildings planned and users for both. And then COVID took them both away. And, you know, we, we worked through COVID, you know, and, and, you know, and, and, and we, we had this one tenant, it's BMW. Um, it's their, it's their national credit, um, is located here in Columbus. And so we had them once before COVID and we had them early, we thought in COVID and then we landed them again after COVID. But so all's not lost. I mean, we're going to go through a tremendous change. I don't think we need nearly as much office as, as we have, but what we do need is new office space. So what people are getting together, the, the creative spaces that they need, the layouts are changing entirely. And so we don't, we're not going to see nearly the amount of new construction but what we are it's going to be new construction that handles people's new needs and then and people hate to repurpose office space while they live in it so i think you're going to see a tremendous amount of shifting around as as these spaces get reimagined it's such um, an interesting time isn't it so one more yeah. question about real estate before we go down the trip down memory lane which is always a bit of fun too but you know that we've just got a new real estate major and so talk to me about what you see when and what the opportunity is for us in real estate and i know you've got some great great ideas about how you think we should shape that program yeah well it's you know real estate such a you know, it's so hard to get in, you know, particularly on the development side, because it, uh, you know, it, it's, you know, it, I, I don't know where to start in terms of what, you know, what skills you need is it, but I, you need a lot of them. And you, you're probably, you're not a master of any one trade, but your understanding of so many, uh, of so many. And, and I think the problem we see with so many real estate schools is they're typically locked in the finance department and, and they're too, they, they're not broad enough. And, and so, you know, I know we've talked, but boy, the entrepreneurship school at, at Miami is, is one of a kind. And what you've been able to achieve there by allowing students to get, you know, broad in their education. Well, uh, the, the same things would apply for what we're looking for in real estate people. And, you know, if you, 
you know, if you like every day to be different, you know, and you like challenges and, and most times you don't even know where they're coming from. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, you know, those are the, some of the things. And, and so when you see get students, you know, challenging themselves and jumping around to different subjects and just, just, you know, have a general thirst of understanding how things work. And, you know, like I said, you, you don't necessarily have to be an expert in engineering, but you need to know what the hell it means. You need to know finance. You need to know architecture. You need to know planning. You need to know. And, you know, as you know, I've been trying uh, with a group of people trying to get that through in my hometown in, in Ohio State, but it's just so difficult because it, it's a big institution and you can't get around. So well, I, we're, I, we're I, more nimble than they are. We've got it. <laughs> <laughs> I know so, that. <laughs> and, and as you know, we've got architecture and planning as part of the degree requirements. So we're pleased about that, or geography, I believe. And and also, as, as our students know who are listening and taking your advice, Mark, to pile up with minors and, and different strings to the bow so that they come out with a versatile background i love it all right time to go down memory lanes this is a fun fun part of the podcast so i'm going to ask you a whole bunch of different questions we'll fire our way through them before Please. we get started is this is this g-rated it can be whatever, whatever you want okay. <laughs> well well i might i might regret saying that <laughs> so when you look back at your time in miami who was your favorite professor mm. Well, I would say favorite wasn't the word I had for him at the time, but uh, probably most influential was Doc Olson, and a, a finance professor. It's I had a so I started off as a really good student. I think I told you I lost my mother. I kind of lost my way a little bit um, while I was in school, and probably uh, you know living living too much up uh, on High Street versus doing my studies and. Uh, and I was up there, it was probably, was it my senior year? Yeah, the first part of my senior year. And I'm at, you know, at the bar getting a beer where my buddy worked and I get a tap on the shoulder and I turn around and there's Doc Olson, right? My, and if he says, if you think I'm going to pass you just because you're a senior, you know, you, you're, you're, you're out of your mind. And so I think I took a sip of my beer, put it on the counter, <laughs> got back to work and got through two of uh the more rigorous classes my senior year. So, and, you know, he had such a energy and, and then, um, and then I, I think it's Professor Dome. I, I was fortunate enough to get in the geography class, Wines of the World, and uh, oh man, was that, that was just a remark, you know, what a unique way to you get you introduced to geography and uh, he had just such a great way about him. And so, so incredibly, inviting and the, uh, the last class of the year was at his house i mean yeah. incredible and i love that about our professors they do they're, they're here because they care about our students so i'm not going to ask you which professor you least enjoyed but i am going to ask you which subject you least enjoyed i least enjoyed as in as in least right absolutely least well bottom, bottom accounting <laughs> I, I was an accounting I was supposed to be a, I started as a dual major of finance and accounting, and I don't even think I got out of there with a minor in accounting. And I really, you know, I hated it at the time, but my gosh, how, how much I rely, you know, just the basis of accounting and how much it enters into your, you know, you know, particularly in real estate, understanding tax consequences and basis. And so it's, it was immensely important, but it was very, very, you know, 
tough for me. It was very regimented and just not the way I'm wired. So, you know, it was definitely my least favorite subject. But, but, but good, good, for our student, good, good for our students who are listening how important it is. So what co-curricular activities were you involved in? Oh, what wasn't I involved? <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of, I think we talked about before, a lot of the intramurals. I was in a fraternity. I was a Phi Psi. Some of my, you know, my good friends in life were, you know, I met there. But um, what I loved about my, how close, I mean, some of my good friends today are from Miami, from different fraternities. And even though I was in a fraternity there, I had so many friends uh, in other fraternities. And I, I went away, I went abroad, I went to London for a summer and met great people there. So, you know, I just can't, I mean, socially, I can't, um, you know, I learned and just met so many people and it put me, I think, in such a, it gave me confidence to, to kind of, you know, really lean on my EQ, which I learned mostly at Miami. And, and if I look back at, at so many of the people I went to school with and how successful they've been in life, I think a, a really main core ingredient in most cases is the EQ side of things and how unbelievably um, social Miami was. And, you know, the whole work hard, play hard thing really got good great there. It's a great place for our students to grow up. It's such a safe environment. It really is. So what was your favorite time of the day for class? You know, were you a morning person? Were you not a morning person? <laughs> I wasn't a morning person, but, you know, I, you know, we are for, somehow somebody in our fraternity was smart enough to realize that if you volunteer to set the schedules, you know, they're used to use students to help the process and you have to bring cards in and when a car class got dropped. So we were masterful at like, I never had a class, you know, after my freshman year, I was able to steer my classes between 10 o'clock and four o'clock, you know? So, and then I would, you know, we were pretty good about, you know, in that rhythm, it, you know, spread it, if you could spread it out a bit and get to the library and get a really good jump on, on, you know, take, take advantage of those seven hours and hit it hard and then, you know, touch it up, you know, and, and unfortunately, you know, I was a crammer and, you know, could go days without sleep. But, you know, I, I, I would have been a lot better student if I had more discipline. In, uh, <laughs> oh, good grief. What was your favorite night of the week while you were at Miami? Yeah, I like, you know, Thursday nights were always were always a sleeper for me, you know, I, you know, so I would say Thursdays and uh, and and uh, were probably the best. And and then, you know. But gosh, there was always something to do. I mean, you know, so, but, but I'd see Thursdays. Did you intern at all while you were at Miami? Um, did I intern? So I did, I, I, I considered an intern knowing I was going to probably go in development and needed construction experience. I, I worked for a home, I worked for an apartment builder one year, but most of the work I did in the summer was physical labor. I worked with a, a nether, I did concrete work. So figured it was a good time to kind of learn the basics in terms of how things happen on a, on a construction site. I love it. So do you remember the dorm that you lived in during your freshman year? Oh, yeah. I was I was a Dodds hauler. Second during, floor north. Turn, turn right. <laughs> yeah. No, it was south. South. Yeah. Two south. Dodds. So, yeah, we Two had, south. again... We had great, I, I have friends from my freshman hall that I stayed friends with from all through school. You know, again, another way where, you know, we, we were so blessed at the time to have, 
you know, you know, the, you know, and I, I'm not sure, I hope it's not this way now, but, you know, even though you might've been an attorney, you, you were almost encouraged to have friends throughout, you know? So um, we started a hockey team called the hot flashes and we scored one. I never played hockey in my life. So our first year, <laughs> We scored one goal. <laughs> it was mostly from people from our, our <laughs> dorm corridor. By the end of our senior year, we made the playoffs. So well, it was, one you know, goal. only in Miami you can do that. It's That's like, very commendable. Very, I'm very impressed. <laughs> one goal. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's your favorite building on campus? Not, not Uptown. I'll come to Uptown in a minute. Um, hmm. That's a, uh, well... You know, I liked old Millette Hall. I used to play a lot of basketball there. But so academically, I mean, I spent a lot of time, but relative a lot of time in the library too. But, um, you know, and then I can't remember the name of the hall where it used to, um, what's the hall that used to have the um, the business school? In? Um, Laws. Yeah. Laws well, Hall, yeah. So my my favorite, I, I there was a, there was a, uh, like basically a janitor's closet in the basement. And so, for final, so when it got serious, I would like, I'd go down, I had this crappy old little desk and I love the sound of the pipes and the, it was in the, in the bowels of the building. <laughs> no one would know I was down there and I'd go down there and if I needed to get something done and create so it. the janitor's closet. Yeah. <laughs> I, it, it was some kind of storage closet. I mean, it was. Was you know, your, you had a desk in the storage closet. So yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I mean, it was literally like a table. It was like a, I think, I don't, I don't even know where I found it. I think it was. Somebody left it out at the fraternity house. It was like, you know, but and, I could get my knees under it. And, and it how, took many, a, well, how many years did you have that to yourself before the whole? <laughs> I mean, I, 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 it, would ha it had to be, it was at least my, my junior year. And so I, I used it for probably three semesters. And, it, and I would just stick the table in the corner. And I mean, occasionally there would be like paper supplies in there. Uh, but it was just this little go-to room that they never kept locked. But it was it's so funny. I wonder if it's still there. Like, we have to go and have a look. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what was your, I wonder if I could find that room. I, I like bet it. you could. It was sort of the second or third home away from home. What about your favorite spot in Uptown? Where did you used to hang out there? I liked Ozzy's. Oh, you know, that was kind of our spot. But I loved Mac and Joe's, Skipper's. I mean, we would usually, you know, make the rounds and it would always end up at Ozzy's balcony. You know, I know that's not there anymore, but they had some great bands and great chicken wings. And, you know, it's just kind of seemed like by the end of the night, that's where we ended up. Yeah. So. Do you ever go back to any of these places, including the cupboard, <laughs> the janitor's yeah. cupboard? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I would like to go back there, but I haven't been. I haven't been. I, I have been back probably seven years ago was a lot. Maybe five years ago, I was, my daughter looked there, so. I, I, this is rated. So if we have time, this is an incredible story. So the, Miami was dear to my family, not because anybody went there. My dad went to Xavier. Okay. So when we went to visit Miami, my dad was so excited. I had heard this story, but it came to life. So Xavier played Miami. This was probably back in, I don't know, 57. And my dad was at Xavier as a freshman. And so they drove up to Miami. They Sounds like they partied the whole way. They were in the end zone at the Miami game, and Miami had a really good team that year. And so him and, like, six buddies were like, hey, if there's a breakaway, we're going to run out in the field and make a tackle. And so <laughs> right before half, a Miami running back 
breaks loose. My dad runs out of the stands and tackles him like it's like the 10 yard line. And so, you know, and you understand my grandfather was a strict jerk. I mean, I'm like, what? He would have killed you. So he's like, yeah, I couldn't have got caught. I could, you know, so they get on and they basically are like, you know, what's the matter with you? And he's like, put me down. I'll give you my ID. And they put him down. He breaks loose and escapes from the stadium. So as my dad's showing me Miami, we're reliving. He's like, the, the football stadium was down there, and I ran up this hill, and I got underneath this, this car, and he passed out under the car for the second half. And then when he wakes up, he hears people from Miami saying, oh, my God, I can't believe we lost to Xavier. He reverses his coat and walked back in the stadium to help his buddies and a bunch of Xavier fans take the goalpost down. They take the goalposts from there up to Mac and Joe. He, he thinks it was Mac and Joe's because I'm on our tour. So fast forward, I was there. It's, it's longer than five years ago now. My daughter was approaching the drinking age, and I'm like, oh, my God, you got to get a picture of you taking a sip of a beer in front of the Mac and Joe's sign so we can send it to Poppy Tom. So that was one of the last times I was in Miami. So, so we need to bring you back. But if any of the listeners are wondering why I've been silent, I've had to put myself on mute because <laughs> so I could get through the story. We need to bring you back. So, going back to your time at Miami, what if what if anything would you have done differently? Is there anything you would have done differently? Probably not. I mean, honestly, I kind of like I said, I lost my way there a few years academically, but you know, it's hard to regret that. I mean, on you know, and I don't say this to you know. You know, it, it would have made it probably tougher for me to get into law school. I, I had pretty good LSATs, but, you know, in the end, you know, it probably did, didn't harm me. But, you know, I, I do regret not maintaining the grades I should have had. And, yeah, but, you know, and I probably lost the opportunity to learn more in those classes. And, and, and that was probably the second half, you know, it was the second half of my sophomore year and the first half of my but, and, you know, uh, and, and I'm, I'm sorry that you lost your mum through that time. That's that's tough to deal with when you're a young. I mean, it's tough to deal with losing a parent any time, but that's an especially tough age. Yeah. Is there a class that you wish you'd taken? Um. Not you know, like I said, you you heard how we gained the system to get about any class we wanted. So if I didn't, I didn't know about it. You know, like getting into the the, the wines, you know, the geography class with the wines was you know. That was a real hard class to get into, but, but um, yeah, no, I can't yeah, think of that. Yeah. Sure. So I know we're coming up times. It's time for you now to give some sage advice <laughs> to, to students who are listening. And I want you to separate it into two parts. One, incoming first years. What would you say to incoming first years as they enter into Miami? And number two, what advice would you give to someone who might have been out of, of Miami for a couple of years? So, so what was the first question? The ones incoming, a, in, incoming, in, incoming first years, number one. Number two yeah. is the students, the graduates have been out for just a couple of years. Well, I, I'd say the first on the incoming, I mean, you know, I, I, I have three daughters and two of them, one just got out of college, one's in college and one's going to college. And, you know, the stress that, you know, the kids are under to understand, you know, pick a school and, you know, if you could just put all that behind it and really go at it, and there's so much fun to be had and so much to learn. And, you know, and it's unfortunately, you know, I got it. You know, I, I my start was great because my parents were just so happy and nothing but, you know, encouragement and, and you know, opportunity. And, you know, and it, it, the quicker you can get yourself in that frame of mind, the better and leave all the, you know, 
stress and crap behind and you know it's for the greatest years of your life and don't you know don't be afraid to take chances you don't need to figure it out just you know let let, let have faith that the journey it'll take you on is the right one what about the second the, one the was, one, yeah. uh, well the, then i'd say you know I, I i mean i probably have a lot of things to say but you know i think when i look back and the fortune that i had you know it was that decision not to to you know if you if the sooner you can really figure out what you want to do in life i know it's been said a thousand different ways but you know my job's never felt like a job because it's something you know i've always wanted to do and you know so but i knew that was going to come and you know if i would have stayed on the original path i was on i was going to have to do a lot of the things that that you know, I, I knew I wanted to be my own guy and do my own thing. And, and so it, had I gotten easily sucked into a path and then, you know, had the income and, you know, beware, you know, and, and I, you see this a lot in, 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 and it's almost intentional with a lot of the larger companies. They want to get you paid high fast so that they can, they can kind of own you. And, and then what happens is you, you realize at a later stage in your life that, this is probably not the path you're on, but you, you you get hooked on the salaries, you get hooked on the lifestyle, and you don't have the ability to, few have the ability to break out at that time. And not to say you can't, but, you know, and, and there's another argument, if you're disciplined enough and know that's what you're doing, then save, save your dollars. Because, I mean, when I when, when I came back to work for the family business, you know, I, I mean, I mean, I was li li living on peanuts. And, you know, and I, and, and you know, and that's, and, and I had, and if I gotten too far ahead of myself, I could not have dropped back and made that. And, and, and the other thing is life responsibilities. I was fortunate. I couldn't have, you know, my wife couldn't have probably <clears throat> entered my life at a better time. And so, you know, and, and it had that relationship come sooner, I probably wouldn't have been able to make the sacrifice I did when I did. So, so chances are, if you really want to do the things you want to do and put yourself on that path, it's not going to come without sacrifice and, and beware of that and, and, and be wise to that. That's really good advice because I know in entrepreneurship, some people do well early on in their careers, but many people step into entrepreneurship, you know, with years of experience behind them. But I think, you know, the sage advice you're giving our listeners, especially our students is to not live up to the means that you have to, to make sure that you've got the choice and money gives us choices. So, so make sure you put yourself in a position of choice. So, so as I close, I just want to thank you so much, Mark. I really uh, enjoyed this podcast. <laughs> so thank you for the gift of time to allow us oh. to this podcast. And, you know, one of the things that I just so love about working here at the farmer's school is that we have deeply engaged alumni who are willing to support us in, in many different ways, support us, our students, and, and just give their time and their thoughts. So I want to thank you again as, as you, and, and, you know, wish you well as you continue your journey beyond high street thank you so much well thank you jenny and i'd love to you have my time anytime so and hopefully uh we're going to do great things with that real estate school so thank you thank you